Scripture reading tonight is from Genesis 12, 10 um, to the end of the chapter. Now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarah, he said to Sarah, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life might be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw the woman was very beautiful. When the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, she dealt with Abram, and he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh, and his house was great, and his house, house with great plagues because of Sarah, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why do you not tell me that she is your wife? Why did you say, She is my sister, so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave them orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. Some of you know that I lived in Mississippi for a long time. I was an RUF intern way back when. I met my wife, Anne. And... Um, uh, one of our students uh, one time invited uh, a bunch of us to his house in the Mississippi Delta, uh, went to this town, and he said, we're going to take you to my favorite restaurant. Uh, my parents are going to take us. Uh, th- th- they want to pay for you guys to go. And this is where anyone that comes from out of town, uh, we take out to dinner. Presidents have eaten here before. Uh, it's the best steak you will ever have. And so I'm like, Great. I'm down, you know. And so we go to his parents' house, great house. Um, go to the downtown, Greenville, Mississippi. We're, we're, I'm looking for this place called Doe's Eat Place. And I'm, in my head, I'm thinking maybe Annabella Mansion, you know, like some amazing facility. And we get to the parking lot, and I think I thought we were making like a pit stop at like a convenience store or something. I wasn't sure what was going on, but there was this cinder block building. And then I saw it. Oh, this is Doe's. This is the place we're eating. And even we walked in, I thought maybe I'd walked in the wrong door. We kind of like walked in and it felt like I was walking into the kitchen. And <clears throat> I will say this. Um, as we're doing that, I'm like having all these thoughts in my head. Like he said, like, okay, this is his favorite place to eat. Presidents have eaten here. Uh, another guy in the group was like, yeah, my uncle said this is like the best restaurant he's ever eaten at. And it wasn't like unclean or bad, but I will say it was, the appearances of it were not necessarily meeting my expectations. Um, it felt like we were eating in, in the kitchen of a, maybe a two-star restaurant, not eating in the dining room of like a five-star restaurant that had been uh, described to me. And literally when we got seated, we, we were like, probably five feet away from someone with a frying pan and uh, a little bit confused. What I had expected, like if, if I was driving through town, I never would have chosen this place to eat. Uh, I did not know what I was in for. Kind of disappointed, kind of under underwhelmed. Uh, if you were here last week, or if you were not, uh, we started a series on the life of Abraham. And... Last week, God makes this call on Abraham's life. He says, I'm going to bless you in order that you will be a blessing to the nations. I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to give you a people. And Abram leaves 
his family, leaves his town and travels over 1,500 miles and goes to this land. And we start off this passage where Abram has gotten all these promises. You don't have any children. I'm going to provide, I'm going to provide a sh- child for you. And out of that, you're, I'm going to make a great nation of you. I'm going to build you up. He's going to make a nation, a country, out of this one man. And they get there, and that's how the passage ends last week. We pick up this week, and the first thing we are told is that there is a famine in the land. (laughs) Abram has traveled 1,500 miles. We're not told how long that took, but it likely took months, maybe even a year. They walked on foot, and they get there. He still doesn't have a child And now there is a famine in the land. We're going to see tonight, Abraham's faith is going to waver and it's going to fail. Last week, we described faith as clinging to God and his promises. This week, we're going to look at what does that look like when all of our surroundings indicate that we should not trust those promises, that we cannot trust this God. What do you do when it's hard to trust God? T- tonight, we're going to see uh, an example of two things. We're, we're going to see Abraham's failure to trust, and we are going to see God's persistent faithfulness. And so th- th- those are the two points. We're going to look uh, at Abraham's struggle to trust and, and the reason behind those Um, his fear and his selfishness. And then secondly, we're going to look at God's faithfulness. So let me pray for us real quick. Father, thank you so much uh, for your word. Uh, Thank you for the ways uh, it exposes us. Uh, Lord, thank you even more so for the ways it shows us our hope in the gospel. And so Lord, meet us tonight, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Some of you might be familiar uh, with the name Peter in the Bible. Uh, If you're not, uh, there were few people that spent more time with Jesus during his earthly ministry than Simon Peter. Peter gave up three years of his life, followed Jesus, saw him do miracles, saw him heal people, uh, was with Jesus. Uh, not only that, told people, went into other villages and told people about Jesus. He saw Jesus. He knew Jesus. He did so much for Jesus. And yet, at the time of Jesus' arrest, Peter not only abandons Jesus, but he denies that he ever knew him. Like One of the examples is a servant girl. Peter had no business caring what a servant girl in the ancient Near East thought about him. But she comes up and says, hey, aren't you a Galilean? Do you know this Jesus of Nazareth? Nope, never knew him. He denies him three times. And at the end of that narrative, you're thinking, how does that happen? How does someone who not only was around Jesus and knew him and knew what he was like, but saw him do all this amazing stuff, how does someone like that denied even knowing Jesus and abandoned him. What do you do when you hear stories of that? Maybe, it's, maybe, it's, maybe you've known someone who's a Christian and walked away 
from the faith? Or what do you do when you see hypocrisy in someone? When you see someone claiming to be a Christian, but when you look at their life, it looks nothing like that. Or what do you do with the, the hypocrisy in your own heart? Whether you're here tonight and you're a Christian, you have some sort of standard you want to live up to. What do you do when you don't live up to that? In the passage Aaron read tonight, we see this very thing on display. Because <laughs> last week we have Abram hearing God's promises and acting on them and worshiping God and thanking God. Every step of the way, he is in step with God. And this week, all of a sudden, you see that faith that we saw last week begin to unravel and begin to lead to fear and to doubt. And it's not like a split-second mess-up that Abram does. It's actually a calculated decision that almost completely unravels his family. We mentioned earlier, verse 10, there's a, there's a famine in the land. Uh, and so Abram decides, okay, there's a famine here. We need to keep going south. They, they've they've kind of made this big V-shaped. They, they left Iraq. They went up to Haran. They're down in Canaan, what will soon be Israel. Uh, the famine's there, so they keep going south down to Egypt. And on the way there, he realizes at some point it dawns on him, you know what? I have a beautiful wife. And when these Egyptians see my wife, they are going to want to take her to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh will want to be with her. He, he, back then, kings had big harems with plenty of women. And he knew that, that if Pharaoh saw his wife, he would want his wife, Sarah, to be included among those women. And back in that time in the ancient Near East, if you were entering into another territory, especially with a group the size that Abram is bringing, um, you kind of have to enter into a negotiation. Like, hey, we'll let you come here, but there's certain terms to this. And you're probably going to have to pay us something. Cattle, metals, uh, including people. And so during that negotiation process, Abram knew if they saw a beautiful woman there, that she was likely to be taken. And if that beautiful woman was married, the only way they could legally do that is if they killed the husband. And so Abram's processing all this. He says, you know what? I've got a great idea. Let's tell them I'm your brother. Because back then, the brother was no threat to these people. The brother could negotiate a deal, but he, his life was not in danger. So he said, you know what? I'll offer you up to Pharaoh. We'll get food. We'll get out of this famine. And then I will live. Essentially, what Abram is doing is using his wife as a bargaining chip. Hey, they're going to think you're beautiful. Um, we can dangle you out there, but I'm going to say I'm your brother, and that way kind of our lives are spared. We're able to keep all of our stuff. Abram uses his wife as a bargaining chip. And, and, and you know, reading this passage, understanding the cultural context, you might say, God, I mean, I get, that seems natural. I mean, there's a famine. He needed to go to Egypt. Uh, seems like kind of a smart plan. Probably a little bit sideways. Maybe not the most moral plan, but like, you know, he was thinking on his feet. Um, but here's the deal. And, and this quote's on, on, on your sheet. I, I love how Ian Dugan puts this. He says, Abram's logic, natural as it was, was fatally flawed. He had forgotten that the God whom he served was greater than his problems. You see, 
Abram's got this situation where he thinks, okay, God's promised me a son, and if I'm going to have a son, I need to live. Uh, and if, I, if there's a famine, I need to go somewhere I can live. So I have to go to Egypt, which is not true. He didn't have to go to Egypt. But, but he goes down to Egypt, and then all of a sudden he begins to see his circumstances, and he begins to forget the God of his circumstances. Rather than trusting the God who had taken him out of Ur in the previous verses, he begins to trust his circumstances over the God of his circumstances. He's afraid. Abram's afraid of what will happen. He's afraid he's going to get killed. He's afraid he won't be able to provide for his family. And underneath that fear is a doubt. He's doubting that God will keep his promises. And it's this doubt and fear that you kind of see intermingled throughout this whole narrative that leads him to make a really reckless decision that could have easily not only unraveled his family, but led to his death. It should have led to his death. When he begins to fear, he begins to doubt. And the more he begins to doubt, the more fear that produces. And it leads him to making a crazy decision. It doesn't make any sense. One of my favorite shows is The Office. And if you're a fan of The Office, you are probably aware of the uh, episode Scott's Tots. It's, it's a polarizing episode. Some people love it. Some people hate it. Uh, the first time I saw it, I squirmed. I wanted to turn off the TV. It is so painfully awkward. Um, if, if, you want to, if you want a squirming situation, go home tonight. Whatever streaming platform uh, The Office is on, watch Scott's Tots. And essentially what it is is uh, Michael is made aware of a promise that he made like 20 years beforehand, or no, I guess it would have been like 12 years beforehand, to a group of kindergartners. And Michael Scott is this overconfident um, businessman that really just wants everyone to love and admire him. And at the end of the day, really no one loves and admires Michael Scott. But that he makes this promise to them. He says, you know what? When you're seniors in college, I am going to give you all a full scholarship to whatever college you go to. Well, it's like spring before graduation. Someone's like, hey, you know that promise you made 12 years ago? Um, those kids are graduating. And he's like, oh. And he goes to their school, and they have like this big presentation for him. Hey, Mr. Scott, they like wrote this song. Oh, man, if you know, yeah, you just need to watch it. So good, so painful. Uh, he knows that he, cannot, he, he can't even come close to paying for one person's tuition, let alone a whole graduating class. Um, but instead of like acknowledging that he can't do that and maybe like, you know, a year or two in advance acknowledging it, or maybe in the moment acknowledging it, uh, he just goes along. He just goes to this presentation where they're going to honor him. Uh, and at the point where he's supposed to reveal, you know, the college tuition money, instead he provides laptop batteries for these kids. And there is like, of course, immense disappointment. Now on the face of it, that situation is like, why would anyone do that? What would lead someone to, to get into that situation? Michael Scott is so afraid of being disliked. He's so afraid of saying no that it just led him to into this situation where he couldn't say no until the very last second. The, Michael Scott's an easy, <laughs> an, an easy target, but, but the same thing can drive our decisions. The same thing can drive our lives. What do you do with your, with your fear? 
Where in your life are you fearful that the Lord will not provide? And what do you do in those moments? In what areas of your life are you fearful the Lord will not provide? And where do you turn? There's so many directions you can go. Sometimes you think, okay, I'm afraid this class is not going to go well. You know what? So, so maybe I can take this into my own hands. Maybe I can, you know, fudge this essay or cheat in this quiz or whatever. I'll, I'll do whatever it takes. I'm afraid, therefore, I'm just going to take matters in my own hands and do whatever it takes to get the grade because I'm afraid of failure. Or, or maybe you've been in a relationship, you are in a relationship where you're afraid that the relationship's going to end. And, and so in order to keep the relationship together, you'll say things or you'll do things that you know you shouldn't do. Or maybe you said that you would never do all in an effort just to keep the relationship together. Because you're afraid. And that fear leads you to doubt that God will provide. How do you know if you are living by faith or if you are living by fear? How do you know if you are trusting God or if you're trusting yourself? Just ask yourself this question. How do I make decisions? When you plan your life, when you plan your week, when you make decisions, is God in the equation at all? It is so easy to live this life where we are just asking God to bless the plans we've already made instead of actually coming to him in prayer and seeking what he might actually want for us. It is so easy to ask him to bless the plans we've already made rather than actually seeking his counsel and going to him. Abraham's fear leads him to make a decision that puts him and his family in danger. Really and truly, he should have been killed. Um, His fear leads him there, but you know what? It's also his priorities that lead him there. You think about this, it's it's not just fear. Uh, You see in this passage, if you look down, um, I don't have my... Page. But, but if you look at it, it's, I think it's verse 3, um, 13, he says, uh, Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. What is Abram's main concern as they go down to Egypt? His main concern is Abram, his main concern is himself. Hey, you know what? Say that, it, say that you're my sister, that it may go well for all of us? No, it's definitely not going to go well for Sarai. That it may well go well for me. His main priority in this instance is himself. He, you know, they're, they're heading into a situation that's like really dangerous. She get taken to this harem. We don't know if he, he would get her back. She'll likely get used and abused however the king pleases. And if they're heading towards a situation like that, you'd hope that a husband would say, you know what? We're in the situation, we will find another way. We will work something out. I will lay down my life for you. And said, Abram's like, you know what? Will you actually lay down your life for me instead? And if you're in a relationship, and and guys and girls, this is a huge indicator. So side note, uh, this is, we, we get a window into their marriage. Men in marriage are called to lay down their lives for their bride. Girls, you want a guy who is not just in it for himself, but who is willing to sacrifice 
for you. And vice versa. Guys looking for a girl, we, we want to date someone, you want to be, be pursuing someone, you want to be pursued by someone who is showing evidence that they are willing to sacrifice and lay down their life for you. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In this instance, Abram is relying completely on his own understanding. He's relying completely on his preferences, his comfort. And it's leading him into chaos. Could it be that so much of the chaos in your life, could it be that much of the anxiety in your life, could it be that much of the frantic planning and worrying is due to the fact that you are relying on your own understanding instead of coming to God in prayer, instead of coming to community? I made a plug for small groups earlier. What a great way to do that. It is so easy at UK to be around lots of people and yet not be known by anyone or not know what it even looks like to talk about the things that we're doing. Uh, and that, that's part of what we want to do at RUF is give you a place where you can process your life through the lens of Christianity. Where are you going when you're worried? God invites you to come to him. Notice how God responds to Abraham. This is our last point. Um, most kings would have just killed Abram when they found out. Wait, this is your wife? God sends a plague in his mercy that Pharaoh doesn't kill Abram, but actually releases him and his wife. You see at the end of the passage there, Pharaoh says, go. Why, why did you... It's coming comical scene. Pharaoh is lecturing Abram on like ethics. Like, hey, why did you lie to me? You shouldn't have done that. You know, Abram's like, oh, okay, yeah, I should leave now. Um, Abram's life was spared. Most kings would have killed him. It was only because God sent that plague that Pharaoh knew, okay, unless these people get out of here, this is going to continue. So he says, get out. Abram did nothing to deserve God's mercy and grace. Why? Why would God do this? Why does God have mercy on Abram? If you read this, you're like, dude, this guy needs to be locked up. He doesn't need to be a husband, much less a father, much less the father of a great nation. Why does God show mercy here to Abram? God shows mercy to Abram because God made a promise. In Genesis 3, nine chapters before this, Sin enters the world, and right after sin enters the world, God makes a promise. It's, all, it's not always going to be like this. One day, the seed of the woman, literally the offspring of this woman, Eve, is going to crush the head of the serpent. One day, there's going to be this, this seed, this offspring, that's going to defeat evil. And you know what the rest of the Bible is? The rest of the Bible is the, is the unfolding of that plan. And you see, that's why there's all these genealogies in the Bible. And that's why when God comes to Abram and he says, I'm going to make of you a great nation. You know that it is only because God is so committed to his promise of defeating evil and rescuing his people that he shows mercy on Abram. I love how one author puts it. He says, 
Thanks be to God, however, that God's plans are not so easily thwarted. The God who called the universe into existence at the snap of his fingers was not to be foiled by the blunderings of his human helpers. Circumstances, folly, and even sin would not stand in the way of God's purpose to make Abram a great blessing. And you know what? This is not the last time that God will come to rescue his people out of Israel. You see him doing it in Exodus. You see Jesus himself coming out of Egypt soon after he's born. Ultimately, this genealogy ends in Christ, our rescuer. And so what you see here in chapter 12 is just a picture of what Jesus does for us. You see here, God will go to any lengths. He'll even, go, he'll even rescue a sinful man in order that his line might be preserved. And what you see in the New Testament is that God will go to any lengths, even sending his own son to die, that he might rescue his people from their sin and death. You know, it's uh, funny. When we began eating our dinner, finally, in Greenville, Mississippi, back at Doe's Eat Place, um, the place was not the nicest place. But two things, two, two things I noted when my dinner came. I've never eaten a steak. I've never seen a piece of meat as large as the piece of meat that was served to me that night. And never before have I had a steak melt in my mouth like I did that night. Never before have I had such attentive waiters and waitresses. They were bending over backwards to make our meal great. I never would have, if you just drove through that town, you would never be like, hey, let's eat there. You'd be like, no, I think there's like an Arby's or a Captain D's up here. I think that looks better. Um, you would never write the script like that. We would never write the script including Abram or rescuing Abram. The reason we went to that restaurant is because those people actually cared about us and they wanted to treat us. They knew us and they knew that restaurant. They wanted to care for us. And in the same way, we have a God who has a plan. He has a plan to rescue and redeem his people. And I say that to you, what that means is that you can trust this God when he calls you to obey and to follow him, when he calls you to trust him. You can. You can trust his plan. It is good. We see that in the cross. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you that you're good. Lord, thank you that you are more committed to redeeming your people than we are committed to you. Lord, we confess the ways we have not trusted you. We confess the ways we have tried to live apart from you. Lord, I pray tonight that, that you would bring us back to yourself, that we might know you and trust you more. In Jesus' name, amen.